Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. We continue this week in our sermon series, Revive, focusing on the membership vow of service in the United Methodist Church. And our scripture comes to us this morning from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, that page number is 151. And if you'd like to follow along in your personal, you may, as well as your mobile device. Let us turn now to God's word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate and cheerfulness. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, indeed. Good morning. I'm Adam Seat, lead pastor here at Orange. I thank you for being a part of this time of worship together today. I, before we go any further, I, last week I introduced a, a type of prayer that I had read about in a book that I'm actually leading a book study on called Unclobber. And in that book, Reverend Colby Martin, the author of it, he, he talks about a type of prayer that they would do from time to time at his church. He would say it was the rock, paper, scissors prayer. And at that, uh, people would be invited at the count of three that they would either throw up either a rock, paper, or scissors. And each one was symbolic of something that they themselves were in need of prayer for uh, at that time. The rock being relationships. Maybe there's a relationship that you had been struggling with, a relationship you had been dealing with, maybe a spouse, a neighbor, a friend, a family member. Uh, So if it was a relationship, and so last week we had a chance to be able to acknowledge to God. I mean, every head was bowed, every eye was closed, nobody saw it, but it was our confession to God, we need help with relationships. Uh, Paper represented work. And so maybe it was something with work uh, that we were struggling with, uh, uncertainties about our vocation, something at work that just had been keeping us up at night. And so if we had that particular need, we held up paper. And scissors represented self, something within ourselves. Maybe there's a need that uh, we are going through. Maybe it's a health matter or just something that we just can't get out of our mind. And so as they had instructed in the book, we ourselves tried to live that out last week. And I don't know what any of you had said that you needed because it wasn't about me knowing. It was about us acknowledging to God what we need. Well, this week I want to do rock, paper, scissors prayer again, but a little bit different. One of the things that I've always found fascinating in my prayer life is to tell God how I've seen God at work. God, you are gracious. God, you are merciful. You have surrounded me with your love. 
And I learned about that in a particular way from one of my friends, Reverend Carl Fraser, who's now a retired pastor. He was one of my mentors early in my ministry. And Carl said that every evening when his family would come together to eat, he would ask his two daughters, where have you seen God today? And at first, when he would ask that question, when he began doing this, they would struggle with, I didn't see God. You can't see God. And they'd come back with those kind of responses. But eventually, they knew every day they were going to get asked that question, where did you see God today? And so they would begin to come up with answers. They'd be looking for God throughout the day. It was the kindness of a friend on the school bus. Maybe it was the way that God answered prayers when the choir sang a song. Uh, they were able to identify the ways that they saw God at work. And I think that's an important thing for us to say to God, God, I see you. I see what you've done. My dad always said to me in prayer that you better tell God thank you for what he's done before you ask him for something else. And this is one of our ways of acknowledging what we've seen God do. So in just a moment, we're going to close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. So I'm going to count one, two, three. And I want you to acknowledge, where did you see God at work this week? Maybe you saw God at work in your relationships. Maybe there was a strife between you and someone else, but you saw healing take place. Maybe it was in relationships. Maybe it was something at work that God answered a prayer at work. Or, or maybe it was even something within yourself. You're, something you have felt something. Maybe you had a new insight that God revealed to you. And so maybe you saw God at work through relationships, your work, or something in yourself. Now, I will also admit, sometimes we, we struggle to see God. And so maybe today you still are finding yourself in the midst of that relationship struggle. Maybe you find yourself still something at work that is just causing such issues for you. Or maybe it's something, a health matter or something else that we're dealing with. Whatever it is, whether it's I see you, God, or God, I need you. I want to invite you to confess it to God. It's to God only. And so every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's pray. One, two, three. God, I see you. I see the way that you have been at work. I see the way that you have been providing guidance through the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we see you and feel you here in this place today. Thank you. Thank you for the ways that you reveal yourself, making yourself known to us, whether it is through relationships, through our work, or even something within ourselves. But God, there may be other needs, other places that we are crying out to you. So God, may you reveal yourself to us in such a way that we can say, I see you. Lord, we thank you for your holy word as it has been read and now as it is to be proclaimed by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth? And as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.
I have one more brief scripture passage that I'd like to read to start this time together. And that's from the book of Roman, uh, Hebrews. We already read from Romans. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. So I invite you, if you want to, to turn in your own Bible or the pew Bible in front of you or your mobile device. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Hear these words. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know some of you have probably heard me say this one or two or 25 times that I am the son of a retired United Methodist minister. That means I grew up all my life. I was a PK. And all my life, I heard as a PK, preacher's kid, that PKs are always the worst. I did not like to hear that. And, you know, I had a friend whose father was a Baptist minister. And when he would hear somebody say, well, PKs are always the worst, he would say, yeah, because we've got to hang out with all the deacon's kids. (laughs) I loved that kind of response. Being a PK means that the church becomes an extension of your home in many ways because almost any time the doors are open, you're going to be there. And it becomes an extension, almost a playground to you. You feel like when you walk in the doors, this is home. I know I experienced that time and time again. My kids experienced that as they were growing up. Some of you may not know, but I followed Reverend Harvin at St. Luke United Methodist Church as he, when, after he had served there for five years, and then I came and followed him immediately after. And, and that church became, as the parsonage was right across the street from the church, and so the yard, the churchyard became my kids' personal playground. And they used to have Nerf gun wars over there in the, church play, in the churchyard. They would have these, these Nerf guns that would shoot these Nerf pellets out in rapid fire, and they would go all over the place. And just a couple of years ago, David, I went back to St. Luke for a funeral just a couple of years ago. And as I was walking up to the church, I saw Nerf gun pellets still in the bushes all around. My boys left their mark. <laughs> they, they, they felt at home because that was an extension of their, their life. And so when you're a PK, you get to, get to live into all of that. And one of the things about being a PK is I remember it was during the summertime or, or maybe a teacher workday, sometime that I was home from school, and my dad decided to take me to go visiting with him. He'd go visiting into the homes of some of the home shut-ins and uh, some of those in the church. And I don't know if Dad called them ahead of time to schedule to let them know that we were coming and that I was coming along with them. It didn't used to do that as much, and so sometimes we just show up. But I remember going with Dad, and I didn't want to go. I mean, why would a child want to go to someone's house and we'd sit in these formal living room areas on on? furniture that had to have been older than Moses itself and so we would go and I just didn't want to be there at first but my dad had me coming with him but I remember learning something on one of those first times of visits we went in and we sat down and the person that we were visiting said you just sit right there I'll be right back and they walked out of the room and dad and I sitting there and dad's giving me that look and pointing that finger you better behave and as the, one, the person came back into the room, they brought something. They brought a glass 
bottle of Coca-Cola. Oh my goodness, as a child, I mean, as an adult, there are a few things that you can get any better than an ice-cold bottle of Coca-Cola. That's just the cap. And they would hand it to me and said, here, this is for you. Sometimes they'd bring some, some candy, sometimes they'd bring cookies, but man, when they gave me that ice-cold bottle of Coca-Cola, mmm, mmm, mmm. <laughs> mm. This ain't communion, honey. <laughs> mm. There's few things better. And I would look at that bottle. And as my dad was visiting with a person and talking with a person, I'd be looking at the, the bubbles, the carbonation as it's going up. And I'd take a sip. I'd, every time I did, I saw them look at me to make sure I wasn't spilling it on the plastic-covered sofa that I was sitting on. But, so maybe dad did let them know that I was coming with them. But... I felt, I felt amazing because they gave me a glass bottle of Coca-Cola. I mean, this isn't a can. Get that can out of here. This isn't a two-liter bottle poured over a cup of ice. No. This is a glass bottle of Coca-Cola, and I felt like royalty. I felt special because they brought out the good stuff for me. They've made me feel like something that I didn't even know was within me. I felt special because they gave me the glass bottle of Coca-Cola. You know, I'd learned in that moment what hospitality looked like. I'd learned because they gave of their best to me. I learned because they welcomed me. They made me feel at home. And I felt like royalty there when I visited in those homes. So the next time Dad invited me to go along to go visit, I was willing because I knew I was probably getting another glass bottle of Coca-Cola or some kind of sweet treat. Hospitality is an ancient custom that we have lived into over the years in so many different ways. One of the first examples of hospitality that we see in scriptures is actually found in Genesis chapter 18. We talked a little bit last week about in Genesis and another encounter, but here in this moment, Abraham and Sarah, as you know, they're out in the wilderness because God has called them to go to a place that I will show you. And God is prospering. God is already allowing Abraham to, to multiply and those numbers of his flock are continuing to grow, but they have yet to have a child. But one day, Abraham and Sarah are sitting outside of their tent and it's the heat of the day and he sees three strangers going by and as is practiced in that part of the world hospitality was such a vital part of who they were and so Abraham sees these three strangers out in the heat of the day and he rushes out to them he says come come to me come let me provide for you let us cool in the shade of the tree come come and let me take care of you and so these three strangers come and it says that Abraham draws up water and he washes the feet. Man, I'm glad we're in a different culture. He washes those dirty, sandy feet. As was the custom of that time because that was hospitality. That's how you showed care for the stranger. That's how you welcomed someone. And then he and Sarah, they pulled together all kinds of things to give them the best of the best. He gave them these unleavened breads. They, they made all kinds of food to provide for them and they nourished them. They provided for them right in that moment. As they provided this meal, we learned that later on, these people that he is entertaining, well, one is none other than the Lord himself. 
and then two of his angels. He didn't know. As I read from Hebrews, he was entertaining angels in God and did not know it when he welcomed the stranger. Throughout the scriptures, we see this virtue, virtue of hospitality that is lived out over and over again. And in fact, in Deuteronomy, God gives them this reminder. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, God reminds the people of Israel to always welcome the stranger, the sojourner, the wanderer. For as he says, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And so that's why it's fascinating to me as we continue through the scriptures. We see all the different times that there are these remarkable acts of hospitality, welcoming the strangers. And that's why the story of Jesus, that's where it gets a little bit complicated in many ways. We know that the story of Jesus at his birth, Joseph and Mary have traveled to Bethlehem for the census. And as they have traveled, she is great with child. And as they get there, there's nobody that is willing to take them in. I mean, they're not even strangers. This is where David's, uh, jo Joseph's family is from, the city of David. And as they've gone back, somebody should have been able to welcome them in, make a place for them, give them a glass bottle of Coca-Cola as they've come all this far. But nobody takes them in. That's, that's remarkable to me. When we think of all the different times that they show a remarkable amount of hospitality and welcoming but here, when Jesus is coming into the world, he's turned away. We see another time of hospitality at the close of Jesus' life. This time where they gather together for what is ultimately to be Jesus' last meal. And as they had made the preparations for this meal, they gather in the upper room. And as was custom, there would have been a pitcher and a basin and a towel for the washing of the feet. One by one, they walk into that room. One by one, they take a seat. And Jesus is the one that gets up. Jesus is the one that gets up and wraps the cloth around him. Gets down on his knees. And one by one, he washes the feet of each one of those disciples. Again, this was the custom. But Jesus is the one. Every one of them knew who he was. They had heard him. They had seen him. They had been called by them. And by, by him. And yet, when it came time for them to show Jesus the hospitality that he was denied at his birth, and now at the close of his life, once again, they deny the opportunity to demonstrate that hospitality, that service to Jesus Christ himself. And they neglected it. They didn't do it. And Jesus had to wash their feet. They entertained Jesus, and they were aware. But they didn't treat him like the royalty that he really is makes me think about how they missed what Jesus was saying in Matthew 25. Yeah, the, the parable of the king separating the sheep and the goats. And as the king is speaking, he speaks to one group and he says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the people said, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you a stranger? When did we see you sick? And when did we see you in prison? And he said, even when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. When you've demonstrated hospitality, even to the least of these, 
when you have welcomed the stranger, when you have fed the hungry, when you have offered something to drink to the thirsty, when you've visited the prison, when you've been to the sick, you've done it unto me. That, I think, is the hospitality that we're called to. I think that that's what we are called to. And Bishop Robert Snacy wrote in Five Practices of a Fruitful Congregation, he wrote these words that Christian hospitality reveals a genuine love for others, an outward focus, a reaching out to those not yet known, a grace that motivates people to openness and adaptability, a willingness to change behaviors to accommodate the needs and receive the talents of newcomers. I love that because it speaks to what it means for us being the body of Christ. As the past few weeks, we've been taking a time to go through and look at what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, to be able to make sure that we support the church, living up to our membership vows with our prayers, with our presence, with our gifts. Today, we're talking about how we serve the church as we've taken that vow to support the church with our service. And I believe the way that we serve the body of Christ is the way that we serve Christ, the way that we demonstrate hospitality, the way that we welcome, so that anybody that walks through these doors knows that they are loved, that anybody that walks through these doors may come to know that they have a place in God's story. And the way that we serve within the body of Christ is the way that we demonstrate that hospitality to Jesus and entertain even the Lord and angels unaware. We treat one another like royalty. We treat them like the best so that we might be able to live in community together. We serve one another and we serve, in doing so, we serve as Jesus himself. When we step up and serve, whether it's as a greeter at the back of the, at the church, at the front doors to welcome people in the door, you are welcoming Jesus into that space when you serve in that way. When you serve in the choir, when you give of that time, you are being a part of the body of Christ and you are offering that gift that speaks to so many others. When we serve in the church, whether it's on committees, and look, it's hard to think of that as a spiritual act of worship. <laughs> As Pastor Corey read from Romans, I mean, we become a living sacrifice when you serve on trustees, right? But it's that act of service. It's that commitment. Living into that vow that we're demonstrating to Jesus Christ. I believe in the body of Christ. And I see it lived out right here. And it is our faithfulness to the ways that we serve the church. Demonstrating hospitality. Working so hard so that anybody that comes in these doors may come to experience who Jesus Christ truly is. That's when we feel that revive, being revived within us. So may the Spirit continue to speak to you and call you to live into the ways that we may truly welcome someone, give them the very best so that they know they do have a place in God's story. Let us pray. Lord God, we depend upon one another. We depend upon one another in the ways that we see you at work through one another. Through the different spiritual gifts that you have distributed amongst the body of Christ. And the ways that we live into those. God, 
thank you for your faithfulness, for the way that you continue to demonstrate to us what radical hospitality is to look like, the ways that we might truly entertain angels, even unaware. May we always be looking for you in our midst. And may we be your willing servants for wherever you send us. God, we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.